Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. We're only going to cover five verses today. And I've titled this message, Facing the Problem. Let's look at those five verses. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate and the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went out uh, onto the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officers did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I did not yet tell the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officers, or the others who did the work. Now, a lot of what I want to share with you, I've taken from a book called Color Outside the Lines by Howard Hendricks. And there's a specific chapter in there about problem solving. He quotes an ancient proverb and it says, problems are like weeds. The more you ignore them, the faster they grow. How many of you have to take care of the weeds at your house? And take care, like cut them, pull them out. If you don't take care of them, they get longer and longer. In 2010, to raise money for the missions trip to go to Peru, me and three of my friends went to go cut somebody's field down. And they had to do it twice a year because the weeds literally grew like trees. Six feet or taller in the air and like three inches around. Massive. So we had to take this, like, it was a flat chainsaw almost on a weed whacker. And it went whoosh, and we just, like, chopped through it. If we let problems go without addressing them and handling them, they're going to get bigger and bigger, and they're going to get harder to get rid of. See, weeds, you got to get by the roots, right? And you got to pull it out. And that's the same thing with our problems. We can't just treat the symptoms. If we only treat the symptoms then we're only cutting it off and it's going to regrow. And we're going to cut it off and it's going to regrow again. We have to get the problem by the root and yank it out. Howard Hendricks goes on to say, we must master the art of finding solutions based on biblical principles. Whenever there's people, there's problems. To live is to have problems. To solve problems is to grow personally and spiritually. If we aren't solving our problems, we aren't growing personally and we aren't growing spiritually. And the Lord wants to grow us in these areas. He says, humans begin, uh, humans, human beings are problem solvers by nature. Yet many of us have come to think that happiness is the absence of problems. That is not true. The total absence of problems means or is the beginning of death for the individual and for a church or an organization. 
So if you don't have problems, that means you're dying and you're actually not living. Because to be alive is to have problems. And we have problems because of sin and how it's infected the world. He goes on to say, and I love this quote, problems are God's chisel to shape the soul. God is in the business of shaping your soul. He's in the business of shaping your character. And he does so with the tools of problems. As we go through difficulties, he refines us and uses those difficulties. I want to remind you, this book, Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a cupbearer in the king's presence of the king of Persia. And he inquires about the ruins of the city of Jerusalem and the people. And he's informed about the conditions and how it's burned. And his heart is burdened with this problem. And he weeps and he fasts and he prays for four months without doing anything. He prays, he plans, and he waits patiently on the Lord for four months. And then all of a sudden, in the king's presence, he's sad, which could be a sentence of death for that person. And the king is like, why are you sad in my presence? And it literally says he was terrified. And he says, what? he responds with a question. He goes, wouldn't you be sad if your city was burned down and broken? And he says, what do you want? And he gives a detailed list. He goes, I want to go rebuild the walls. Would you supply me with letters? Would you supply me with the wood I need? And the king said, how long are you going to be gone? He goes, this amount of time. He goes, all right, you can go. And we looked at the process. Remember last week where we are, where are the ruins at, the conditions of the problems, and where, do we, where does Nehemiah want to be? He wants to rebuild the wall. But the steps from the ruins to the rebuilding, there's multiple steps involved in the process. And Nehemiah sets off on his journey. In verses 9 through 10, it says, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, that's beyond the Euphrates River, and gave the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tem uh, uh, Tobiah the Amorite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So, Nehemiah gets permission from the king to go rebuild the walls, gets letters, gets the supplies, and takes off on this journey. I wonder what that moment was like before Nehemiah left. After he had this terrifying moment, because he could have been killed in the king's presence for being sad, and the king approves this request. I bet you Nehemiah was grinning from ear to ear with joy. He went home so excited, he instantly started packing and putting his clothes in um, suitcases. And he's like, I'm leaving as soon as possible. He gets all the supplies ready and takes off. He actually travels 800 miles from Persia to Jerusalem and makes that journey to rebuild the walls and to help the people. That 800 miles is like going from the church 
to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Can you imagine walking that? Supposedly, Google Maps says that's 257 hours you would spend walking that. And Nehemiah had supplies. Nehemiah was bringing uh, some trees with him to rebuild the gates. This journey possibly took three months. And I want to remind you, in chapter 1, we see kind of the beginning. And then in chapter 2, we see four months go by when he's praying. And now three more months go by. It's about June or July. And he's been waiting. He's had this burden for the people and the walls that were broken down. He wanted to help, but he didn't want to be ahead of God in the process. He wanted to be in step with the Lord. He wanted to be right next to the Lord. He didn't want to be behind. He didn't want to be in front. He was walking with the Lord and having this fellowship through this problem. And in verses 1 through 16 that we see Nehemiah investigates the problem. He faces this problem. In verse 11 it says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. What are some reasons Nehemiah waited three days when he got to Jerusalem? Why did he not just start building right away? He has this burden. He has this desire. Why did he wait another three days? What do you guys think? Why did Nehemiah wait three days? Yes. Say it again. He was observing. You're actually right. He was investigating. He had a vague idea of the problem. He had never been to Jerusalem. He needed more details about the problem. And so he went to go develop his plans fully because he only had a vague idea and information regarding the problem. Nehemiah waits again. Can you imagine waiting for four months and another three months and another three days? He wants to honor the Lord. And he does so in his waiting. In verse 12, it says, Then I arose in the night. Have you guys ever had a problem that was on your mind where it caused you to stay up late late at night and you couldn't go to sleep? Or you wake up early in the morning and it's like 1 o'clock and you're like, what the heck, why am I wide awake? And your mind's just racing. That wasn't Nehemiah here. He deliberately stayed awake. Warren Wearsby says, dedicated leaders are awake when others are asleep, but they see more in the darkness than others do in the light. And that's the truth with Nehemiah here. He's actually going to go out and observe the walls and the ruins, and he's going to see more at dark than people do in the light. Because the Lord gave him eyes to see. And I love what verse 12 says. He says, I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nehemiah wasn't trying to get attention here. He wasn't trying to become king or the governor or anything like that. And he wasn't secretive, hiding, but he was trying to be wise here with what the Lord put on his heart. There are times when God has put something on our hearts that is not for everybody. God gave Paul the apostle a vision of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I was taken to the third heaven. Did you think there was three heavens? There's not three heavens. There's the atmosphere, 
like where the rain's at, and they call that heaven. Then there's space, which they also call heaven. And he says the third heaven, which refers to God's throne room where God dwells. He says he was taken to the third heaven. How many of you would love to see what heaven's like? I would. I was like, Lord, give me a vision. I want to see what that is like. Paul says, I can't even tell you what it was like because my words would not articulate how beautiful and how great. So he actually didn't even tell his audience what that was. There were certain things that God was doing in his heart that he kept secret. And there's certain things that God has told me specifically at times that I haven't told other people. There's certain things that God has spoken to my heart that I haven't told you guys or even the leaders. And it's just for me and the Lord. What has God been putting on your heart? This is not a question I want answered. I want you to think about this. What is the Lord putting on your heart? What is the burdens that he is putting in your mind? Before telling other people, keep it between you and the Lord until the time comes to tell other people. And practice what Nehemiah did. He prayed, he had patience, and he planned. Verse 13 says, And I went out by night through the gate, uh, the valley gates to the serpent well and the refuse gate or the dung gate. Here's a map of the city of Jerusalem during that time, okay? <clears throat> I want you guys to see a couple things. You can see here in verse 13. Oops, let's go back. Go back. There we go. Stop it. I keep hitting the thing. All right, there we go. So he comes out here, the valley gates and walks down this area here. Now, the dung gate could be over here or over here. Some commentators reference it differently. And he goes past the fountain gate and comes back this way. And then he makes his journey backwards also because of the amount of ruins that were there. And so this gives us an idea of what the time was like when Nehemiah was there. Now, you can't see the, there's no ruins in this photo. But I want you to use your mind to imagine broken walls down, rocks everywhere. This is an uh, aerial shot of what it might look like. The whole entire green area in this map is what the old kingdom was, all destroyed. The old wall destroyed. And this was a smaller version of what had been there. It says he viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates, which were burned with fire. If you have your own Bible, I would underline box that word viewed because that word viewed means he investigated, he inspected, he examined, hoped, and waited. He looked intently at the issue and got really familiar with the problem. And this is mentioned twice, first in verse 13 and also verse 15. Charles Kettering said this, a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved. Now, you might be wondering, who is this guy, Charles Kettering? He was an engineer with several patents. Very smart man. He says, if you can actually define the problem well enough, you already have a problem that's half-solved. And so Nehemiah needed to know more information about the walls and the gates like I said earlier, he had a general idea of the problem, but now he was getting familiar with the ruins. Alan Redpath said he would determine to know the worst. To know a problem and all these problems that we've discussed, 
you got to know the worst about these problems and dive into it. Not experience it themselves, yourselves, but to investigate it. I was watching a TV show a while back, and this family that this TV show was about, they were focusing on a friend. And this friend was addicted to drugs, heroin specifically. And he kept going in and out of rehab, going in and out of rehab. And all of a sudden, he was out of rehab for a while, but then they got news that he was back in rehab. And his dad kind of responded and goes, man, there's so, something needs to be done about this problem, this drug uh, epidemic. And then this lady, as she was home with her husband, also her husband said, man, there's just something needs to be done about this problem. And she responded and said, there's nothing that scares me more than when people say that there's something that needs to be done because it really points out and means that they don't know what needs to be done. They keep crying out like, oh, something needs to be done about this, but they have no idea how to handle it. Nehemiah knew what God wanted him to do. And so he goes to, in verse 14, he went past the fountain gate, past the king's pool. His animal couldn't pass. He kind of viewed. And then verse 15, he went back. He went up that night by the valley and viewed the walls and turned back and went back to the valley gate. I firmly believe as Nehemiah went out this night and was walking around, he was going on a prayer walk and he was praying over the ruins. He was praying over the situation. And in that conversation that he had with the Lord on that prayer walk, the Lord was pointing and revealing things to him. In verse 16, he kind of points out that no one knew what he was there for and what he was going to do. I don't know about you guys, but I love puzzles. This is a puzzle that someone got me for my birthday recently. And the whole point of this puzzle here is you got to get this red string off of this whole thing. Now, that seems pretty difficult, right? You got to remove this red thing, string out completely and free it. It literally says on the packaging, this is a level four out of five. The hours and the length to play this, four to 12 hours to solve this problem. Now, this is kind of seems kind of simple, right? Or not maybe simple, but it's just a little puzzle. Would you guys spend four hours trying to solve this problem? Some of you are like, no. Some of you are like, yeah, that's exciting. And there's actually 14 different moves you have to make to solve this problem. 14 different moves. Now, I love puzzles. I have a bunch of different ones in my office because this, I just kind of love it. And actually, as I opened it up, I had it solved within 30 minutes. And I was just kind of fiddling with it. And all of a sudden, it came off, and I was like, oh, I did it. And I was kind of shocked and surprised. But trying to get it back on, now that was hard. <laughs> because you have to know the steps that you did. And then you kind of fully understand the problem. I want us to do something different tonight. I want us to actually solve some problems. More specifically, some of these problems on this board. OK? And we're going to do. We're going to follow a pattern for problem solving here, OK? I want you to look at this, this pattern for problem solving. First thing is we got to fact find. 
You gotta find facts relating to that problem, okay? The second is you gotta, the problem uh, finding. What is the issue at hand? What is the root issue? So the facts is everything that kind of surrounds it. Then you gotta hone in on the problem itself. Then you gotta spit out some ideas. Now, when you guys are creating ideas for some of these issues, and we're gonna break up into four groups, okay? Two guy groups, two girl groups. We're gonna give you a specific topic that you're gonna to have to take this process through. And we'll see how far you guys can get within, let's say, 20 minutes or so. <clears throat> and as you are in the idea finding phase, do not shoot people's ideas down. Don't say that's dumb, because one small idea can lead to a better idea. And in the idea finding phase, you're not trying to be critical. You're just trying to spitball ideas out. And as you do that, all of a sudden it's gonna generate more. Then go to the solution finding phase and then the action finding phase. Because we wanna help you think critically about your problems and the things that are going on in your life. Now, when we break up into groups, I wanna go, I'm gonna allow you to use your phones. I'm gonna allow you to Google verses on the topics that we are gonna hand you and give you, okay? So, the fact-finding st stage. The more questions you ask, the better. So bombard your problem, whatever problem we give you, bombard it with questions. Who, what, where, why, how, attack it with questions. The more questions you ask, the better uh, information you're gonna get. Then go to the problem finding stage, because a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved. Get to the central issue. The idea section, because if you only have one idea to solve one of these problems, one author said it's the most dangerous thing to only have one idea. So have multiple. And then go to the solution and then the uh, action stage. And then we'll come back and I want to examine your process. I want to see what you guys thought of. See, you guys might think you don't have a lot to offer. I believe you do. I believe that you guys can help solve some of these problems for your friends. You know why? Because I believe that God has given you specific gifts and abilities. And when you guys gather together and use your gifts and abilities together to solve a problem, the Lord can show up in a powerful way in that instance. 